Look, uh, welcome to, uh, to the project. If you're, uh, if you're new with us today, it's, uh, it's great to have you. We've been uh, working through the book of uh, Ephesians um, over uh, the last few months, and uh, we've been going through some pretty precious things. We're going to get to that in a minute. The last uh, few days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, Sue Patterson, Cole Patterson, Matt Martin and his wife Chloe and Ange and I went to an Acts 29 church planting conference. Um, and it was on the Gold Coast, so it was pretty rough. Actually, it was uh, it's pretty tough being down there, uh, I jest. And uh, we, um, we just had, it was just a great, great time to, uh, to hear people do some teaching and to be thinking about church planting. We, uh, we are a church plant uh, from about five and a half years ago. And uh, there were lots of people in uh, the project who became Christians uh, as a result of the church being planted. And uh, this church is about restoring true humanity and we are absolutely passionate about seeing people transformed and changed by Jesus. And that is the number one um, objective of this church. We do not run this church to be an institution. We do not run this church to be an organisation. We do not run this church for any reason any other reason really than that people actually get transformed by Jesus and that their lives actually become different. We're not interested in providing self-help for people at the church here, so we're not interested in people coming along and just hearing something that sounds good or going home and feeling a little bit more upbeat about things. We want to see people change. That's what we're on about. Okay? That, that is the deal uh, with this church. And uh, church planning is a way of changing the world. All right? The uh, statistics are really clear, and we'll go into more depth about this uh, at a later date, but the statistics are really clear that if you want to actually reach people for Jesus, you need to plant churches. And it's, it's better than any other missional activity. We could work really hard here and come up with like 35 different missional activities that we could do in the project, uh, and that would be good, but things that we could do for people to connect with to be changed by Jesus. Uh, but at the end of the day... Uh, the thing that is actually the most effective is for us to actually go and just plant another church. All right? Statistically, churches under three years of age average 10 new Christians for every 100 people in the church. Statistically, churches 15 years and older average three. All right? So more people get transformed by Jesus. So what we actually need to see in this church, and this is what we've been doing in Ephesians, we actually need to see conversions. We think Jesus is true and real and we think that he changed everything by what he did on the cross. Amen? And so what we're actually saying is we're saying you need to be converted, which is not a particularly politically correct thing to say, is it? There's a whole world out there that needs to be converted. They're dead and they need to be made alive again. That's what we've been doing in Ephesians 2. And that, that's what needs to happen. So when people walk through the doors of the project, we've had lots of non-Christians walk through the doors of the project. The project for us is we want to see the Spirit make them alive. And if you're not a Christian today, your problem is that you're dead. That's what your problem is. And you actually need to be made alive. And this is going to be really vibrant for our church. If we stay on the cutting edge and keep extending ourselves toward being a church that's missional, that wants to change culture, that wants to change our part of the world in partnership with God, we will do well and God's grace will be helpful to us. But one thing that happens in churches is when grace stops being poured out and people change from being a conduit to a cul-de-sac, Christians go septic. (laughs) That's what happens. Christians go septic when they stop pouring God's grace out. And so God's call for us as a church is to find ways, how are we going to reach people? We want to see people internally in the church transformed. And we have lots of ways that that you can be transformed in the church, but we are not here because people need to have a church and need to feel comfortable. The, The church is God's mission in the world. That's an expression of his missional heart to the world. So our goal is actually, how do we actually reach people and see Jesus actually change people? How do we see the miracle of people being converted actually happen? See, we, we have a perspective about Jesus. 
and we think everyone else, and this sounds particularly arrogant in our day and age, but we have a perspective about Jesus, we think he's the truth, we know that he changes lives, and we need the rest of the world to get on board with that, for their sake. Amen? Amen. That, that's what we're on about, okay? Now there's other important things that churches do, no question. I'm not saying that churches don't do other things, but I'm just saying if we lose that, we go septic. That's what's going to happen. Because God's grace was never ever meant to be something, Christian, hear me, God's grace was never ever meant to be something that you grab and it makes your life happier and it stops there. It was never meant to be that. So if you're a mess, personally, a big reason why God would want to see you get healed is so that you would take his healing to everyone else. That's why. He's not, I don't think God's necessarily interested in you being healed so that you can have a happy life. Like, full stop. Now, does God want to see you healed and whole and restore? Yeah, he does. But is his objective so that everything's sweet for you and you can be ripped? No, it's not. It's because the person who lives next door to you is all busted up and they need Jesus. And you're in, you've probably heard this, this statement before. Um, Christians are like a couple of beggars where one of them's found bread and he tells the other one where to get bread. That's what Christianity is, all right? And so what we're doing here is we're actually going, no, we're actually feeding on the bread that God gives us. We're feeding on who he is and it's not just about us getting obese, all right? It's about us actually taking that out and, and giving it to other people and telling people where you can get nourishment and life from. Amen? And this is a, this is a uh, I'll tell you, just let me say one more thing and then I'm going to hand over to uh, Sue, Cole and Matt. This is going to share for a little bit. We are on the winning team, all right? What Jesus did on the cross will happen. There will be a day where he is proclaimed from every, every rooftop, every mountaintop as the one who is victorious. That's what's happening. That's the story trajectory that you're currently on. So you just, just let me encourage you, don't get a defeatist kind of mindset. You know, like whether you're pressed 4% in Australia who love Jesus. Just go, I don't care, we're with Jesus, right? And he wins. He's already won on the cross. So, I mean, that, that was probably one of the big things that kind of came out of it for me from the conference that I went to, is like, we need to get a spring in our step. We need to get a spring in our step. We need to stretch out here. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, Australian culture is difficult. Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't want to know Jesus. But he wins. <laughs> he wins. And the gospel wins. And Romans 1, 16, verse, uh, sorry, Romans 1 verse 16 says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of anyone, Jew or Gentile. That's everyone. It might be enough for me just for the moment. That was just a little context setter. Let's, uh, let's be careful. Have you ever heard this statement? You've just got to be careful to make sure that you make the main thing the main thing. Let's, let's just be careful to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? Because you know what? The saving of the world is the main thing for God. And the glory that that brings to him why people reveling in his grace is the main thing to God. And so we can kind of go off and we can muck around with some kind of little story on the side that we think's funky, you know. But at the end of the day, God's still up to that. That's the trajectory. So let's, let's get on that. And, and I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But it will be good. Not all uh, easy things are good. Who knows that? They're not. There's a lot of hard things that are really, really good. I want to uh, just pull up at that point in time and uh, maybe uh, it's... Um, I'll just ask Sue, Cole and Matt just to share for a few moments about um, just where they're... just how God spoke to them, uh, where they're at, um, just coming out of the, um, the church planning conference. Just, just to put legs on this thing, just as Cole comes up, um, we, we're pretty committed and we've been pretty committed since the start of the church to plant churches. 
Um, and we don't, we don't know where yet. Uh, we don't even exactly know when, but I, I would think it's in the next couple of years that, um, that we're going to do some of this. Uh, and we would love um, to have the conversation with you between now and then about it, about the importance of it. Um, that's, that's been our heart since the church first started. Uh, when Diff and Nathan and I were uh, the elders in the church, it was always in our heart that one day we wanted to plant churches because we wanted to reach more people. Um, so just um, what am I doing today? Uh, we've talked about a lot. I'm just hopefully continuing the conversation. If you want to read some stuff about church planting, come and talk to me. I'll give you heaps of stuff to read about church planting. Uh, if you're sitting there and you're going, I think I'd like to be involved in one, well, you should keep praying about that. All right? And pray that God would bring things together for us so that we'd, we'd find a way to reach our community here. Anyway, Cole. Keep standing. Stand back here. Had an, an extraordinary night last night at 1.54 in the morning. Um, God woke me up. Um, I'm sure he's woken me up before, but I've rolled over and went back to sleep. I'm sure of it. But my mind at 1.54 was going so fast, like suddenly when I woke up, um, I, I just I had to get up because I there's no way I could go back to sleep. Um, and so I went downstairs and um, uh, our cat followed me, just saying. And I sat down and he sat on me and we talked to God. Well, I talked to God. He slept. God interrupted my sleep. Um, and how many of you know, how many of you like to be interrupted when you're sleeping? I, I don't. I don't. I like to get my sleep, but God interrupted me. That's not a good thing. So, whose life has been interrupted? It has. Our life, and sometimes it's not good. Sometimes it's not good. But, um, but when God's involved in that interruption, it's going to be great, irrespective of how that feels to you. Um, So we went, I haven't been to a conference, I'm an, I'm I'm an ex-Pentecostal minister, I've been in a conference for more than a decade, so I was pretty sceptical going to a conference because um, um, I've just been, I've just been tragically burnt in churches in my life and so um, even this time when I went I just had, had times, both Sue and I, where we were just overwhelmed with emotion about what's been in our lives. Um, but just as I, as I was talking to God and then just about as I was about to wrap up and go to bed, um, God said to me, it was almost, I mean, I, I've never heard God speak audibly. It was pretty close. He said, those disappointments, which are big, big, those disappointments don't define you, Colin. I define you. And so when I went to this conference there's a number of things that really impacted me. And, and, and the most impactful thing that I seen there was it was full, I mean full, of young couples and young people. I just want to talk about the young couples just for a minute. If you're young, and I mean, I'm not that young, might feel young some days, but you're under 40, I want you to think about what your life's about. What, what's it about? I can tell you some things that it might be about. It might be about working because you want to build a career. It might be about being a parent because you've got young children. might be. It might be about buying a house and getting yourself established. Um, it, it, it might be about just setting yourself up um, so that life is just trucking along really well for you. That's what our culture strives for. That's the great Australian dream is to make sure that life is just going really good when you're 
You, you might get married in your 20s and then that's what you do. I'm telling you, this conference was full of young people like you, if I'm talking to you now, who, who just chose to go against the cultural drive. They just chose that. Their lives were just full-on busy with the things that I've talked about, but they just said, you know, we're not going to do that. We're going to choose to go against that cultural drive, and that cultural drive in our country is mega. It's mega. It's really hard to go against that. But they chose because, because they wanted to impact a community with the gospel and with the love of Jesus, and they wanted to be on mission for God. And mission for God is hard, but they were loving it. They were loving it. And it really impacted me. It really impacted me. So this morning, I was, I was thinking, <laughs> where does God want me on mission? Now, I'm not about to run off and plant a church although I would if, if that's what God called me to do, because I really want to really be passionate for him. And some, somewhere in the mix of the last decade, I just, I, lost, I just lost my passion for God. I just got caught up and lost it. But that doesn't define me, because God, God is ready to give me passion any time I want to receive it. And I really want to really be passionate for him and his gospel and loving people. So God wants us, people in the project, to reach people for the gospel. He really does. He wants you, me, us. He wants us as a church to go against the cultural drive. Now I believe that even in churches we get consumed by a church cultural drive about making it sweet, about making it polished, about making it so that it meets our needs, so that we feel comfortable. But that's not who God is. God doesn't want to provide a comfortable place for us. He wants us to go against the cultural drive of even our own church so that, we, we, so that we're on mission for him. So he doesn't want our lives to be about us because I tell you, you are your own biggest distraction. Do you know that? I am my biggest distraction. When I make my life about me, I just get distracted and I get consumed about things that concern me. Even when I'm in trouble, I get distracted because I want to make it better for me. Such a distraction. So then I just wrote down some things that I believe he really wants from me for my own good and for good of reaching people for the gospel. So he wants my time. Is my time, is your time, is that gospel centred? Or is it just so filled with the things just about me and just things about you? Those people that I saw, they were just so filled with things about the gospel. They were just passionate about reaching their community for God. He wants my passion. Am I passionate about him? Are you passionate about him? He wants my money. So many times I just hold on to it so tight because I want the comfort that it brings me. So I will work hard to make that so that it can bring me comfort. But what happens if he wanted it all? What happens if he just wanted all my money? So that people could know him. What's our money doing? Lastly, he wants me to be totally unsettled in my culture. He just wants me to be unsettled. Because when I get settled, just again, it just becomes about me. 
But when I'm looking out to others and touching other people with the gospel, I become unsettled. So I would love our church just to be full of people that are unsettled. Full of people that are battling within, with their own junk, with their own garbage, but looking outward. Looking outward. Saying, I have battles, Father, help me. But who can I touch with your gospel? Who can I reach? What community do you want me to part of? How can I give my money? How can I give my money into a church plant that the project wants to do? What can I do? How can I be involved? How can I connect with that? It's just something that takes us away from ourselves. There's a young guy there who preached the last session. His name was Guy Mason. He's a, he's a pastor of a church in Melbourne called City on the Hill. Ten years ago, like he's young. He would be only be in his 30s now, so a decade ago he would have been in his, in his 20s. He's got a young family. So he could be totally distracted by, by the culture of what his life's about. He's in a metropolitan city for a start where there's just things happening everywhere. He's got young kids which demand his time. Um, he, he, he's, in a, he's in a church that's just going, growing, full of distractions, full of distractions. But you know, in the last 10 years, they have they've planted five churches from that church. So he went there with a team to plant that church 10 years ago, a decade ago, and since then, they've planted five other churches. One of those churches is in Brisbane. He is just so passionate about the gospel. He's so passionate about reaching people for Christ. And it was just really challenging. It was just really challenging. So I want us, what my desire is that that we would get passionate about reaching people for Christ. And if that means that we need to go and plant a church upon a church upon a church upon a church, then we should be excited about that. We shouldn't be excited. We should not be excited about the mundanes of church. I just don't want to be. I don't want to be excited about the mundanes of church. I want to be excited about touching people for the gospel, for the gospel's sake. And I want to really challenge you if you're young, middle or old. Where does God want you to connect with the vision of the project? Where does he want you? Because it's big. It's not small. Planting the church and churches is not small. It's big. Because God wants us to touch a wide, big community. Where are you connecting with that? Where are you connecting with that? Are you worried about the mundane of your life and the mundane of church life? I say don't. I say don't. Be prepared to challenge the mundane. Be prepared to move against your culture and what your culture is telling you. And let's touch a community with the gospel and with the love of Jesus. I really, (laughs) I don't like it, but I really hope that God just continues to wake me up in the middle of the night so I can't sleep. And he keeps talking and saying, what are you doing, Colin? Where's, what's your life about? Where's the gospel in, in, in every area of your life? Where are you speaking that? Where are you living that? Amen. Woo! It's exciting, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. I'm terrified and excited all at once. Um, I just want to really encourage you because when I hear my husband talk like that, there's one part of me that goes, that's right. When he hears from God, something happens. And a little bit inside, I go, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen. But then I remember to lift up my eyes. And that's what I really want to encourage you with today. You know, God didn't call us to be complacent people who just know him well. He called us to be dangerous in a community that needs life. How do we speak life into places that are dead? We do it with the power of Jesus. And how do we have the power of Jesus and know what to say if we're not looking up to him? In every situation, we need to be people who are so passionate and hungry to be filled with his spirit. Because if it's left to me, I muck it up all the time. But when he's involved... He directs our steps. So I really want to encourage you 
there was just some amazing things that we got out of this. But let our heart cry be so much about Jesus. Let us be motivated in a way that we go to him first to say, God, show me what you want me to do today. Let us be excited about the fact that we are on the winning side. We are about bringing life into a place that is dying around us and people who are dying around us. But we hold a gift and let us be people who are passionate about presenting that gift well. I want to so encourage you. You know, I had so many people here on my heart while we were at this thing. You know, we are on the other end of young. We're not in the grave, but we're not as young as we were. But, you know, don't, don't look at your time of life and go, well, this is what I should be doing now. Ask God what your life should be about. Be, be game to be dangerous for him in a way that's radical because I believe every time he will meet you in that. He will meet you. And we need to come here. When that worship's on, we should be worshipping our hearts out. We are children of the living God. There is no other God that comes close to that. There is nothing that gives life like that. No matter what you do, no matter where you are, his purpose and his intention about bringing him to the people who don't see him is never surer. And he wants to use us to do it. I want to encourage you to go home and seek God. Ask him, God, where, where am I being complacent? Where am I looking more, too much about me? What do you want me to see? The more we seek Jesus, the more we begin to look at life through his lens and the more able we are to be his hands and feet. There are people here who are going to be dangerous for Jesus and I tell you, that is awesome. So be excited. Young people, you young men... I tell you, that place was full of young men. It was so encouraging to see young men standing up and going, I want something different. Most conferences I've been are packed full of women. And I love women, but man, there's something powerful about when men get going. It means women can follow. It's a godly thing. Be encouraged. No matter what your age is, God's intention for you is sure. I'm keen to hear a sermon today too. So just really quickly, uh, Acts, Acts 1.8 was a really good encouragement for me uh, uh, on um, when, when, I, when I consider the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was given. Uh, Acts 1.8, just, just really quickly, let me uh, encourage you with this. And this is uh, just changing the way I think about my faith and, and my, uh, my purpose. What Sue's saying is uh, so, so true. All right. Says this, and this is about the Holy Spirit and the giving uh, of the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Uh, the, the giving of the Holy Spirit was for, for Christ's witness. Um, often we think about the Holy Spirit. And yes, I would also say the Holy Spirit is uh, the, our comforter and our helper and, and you know, someone who lives inside of us and reminds us uh, of God and reminds us of the gospel and, and illuminates the Bible to us. But Christ here refers to the Holy Spirit as the power for us to be on mission. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And that's, there's this really intimate connection between the giving of the Holy Spirit and the, and the mission of the church and the witness of the church to go uh, to all peoples. Uh, and that's a, that's a great encouragement to me in terms of my own faith. And, and when I think about what, uh, what, what Sue's saying, what, what's God uh, leading us to do? Uh, that would be a really good start is to be, to be a witness and for that to be a, a primary objective of every Christian. <laughs> What's one of the main things that we're called to do in, in Christ is to be his witness. Uh, so that was something that really encouraged me. Yeah, some, some of you may be thinking, oh, they just hyped from a conference. No, it, it, it wasn't really that kind of conference. 
if that makes sense. I, that wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's what it was for me at all, and I don't know whether that's what it was for us at all. There's a really well-known um, thing called, I don't know whether you've ever heard of it, called Mission Drift. The first thing, I think, that gets dropped from a church's agenda 99.9% of the time is, is mission. And it's, it's winning people for Jesus. That, that's what goes first. And last year, I spent a lot of time connecting him with a different church planning network. Um, Matt was part of it a little bit too. And we're just trying to find out, is this a church planning network that we can kind of work inside of? Uh, and they were saying the same things. They just keep talking about missions, 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 people being one for Jesus, people being transformed by Jesus, because it's hard to do it. Who knows that's hard to do? It's hard to tell someone about Jesus. And like, it's easy to just go, oh, there's a whole bunch of things I'd like to see happen in the church that heal me. And we're not against personal healing, but we are against personal healing. That's a cul-de-sac, not a conduit. Because grace goes festy when you're not a conduit. Have you become a victim of mission drift? Do you know your next door neighbour's name? When was the last time that you shared your table, you ate around your table with non-Christians? And let me sharpen that even more. When was the last time that you shared your table with non-Christians who you were praying for and longing to see Jesus transform? How often do you pray for opportunities to share the gospel with people, to tell people about Jesus? Like you work, live and play with people who if they don't get reached by Jesus will go to hell forever. Forever. And we have like found the best thing, haven't we? We have found the best thing. Why wouldn't you just want them to have the best thing? How often do you pray for people to be saved? I've been convicted by the fact that I don't even pray that much about visitors that come to this church that they actually get converted. That might sound weird to you. I stand up here and I think, I want to present a really good message to people. I want to connect with them. I want it to be relevant. You know what's needed is we've got dead people that walk into this church and they need to be made alive. And I don't have the words to do that. I can't do that. My words are not good enough. And some of you go, amen to that. They're not. All right? They're really disappointing sometimes. They are. Because they're just human. And they're here for a minute and then they're gone. What people need is not my words. What people need is to be regenerated. They need to be made alive. In the first six months of the project, roughly, six to eight months, um, Ant and I had someone in our community group who never prayed for anyone to become a Christian. And he argued against me in a community group meeting that it's not theologically correct to pray for anyone to become a Christian. Right? Now, he was a ridiculously hardcore, lazy, (laughs) this is what I thought, he was a hardcore, lazy believer in the sovereignty of God. That he didn't need to do anything. He didn't even need to pray for people. God knows who he's going to save, so I just won't do anything. He obviously didn't read... Romans 10 verse 1 where Paul talks about Israel he says brothers my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved he wasn't leaning in he wasn't leaning into missions at all and do you know he didn't come to community group very many more times Jesus said in Matthew 9 verse 37 to 38 the harvest is plentiful What's few, the harvest or the workers? The workers are few. 
So the issue, like the God of the universe, Jesus says, there's lots of harvest to get in. He's not even saying you need to go and pray that there'd be a harvest. He goes, there is a harvest. He's saying what you need to pray for is you need to pray for enough workers to bring the harvest in. Who are the workers? It's meant to be us, right? Isn't it? That's us. I mean, let me read the whole of that. Matthew 9, 37 to 38. Listen to the hope in this. The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. That is just rich with hope, isn't it? Like, if you're going, man, there's heaps of people here and they all want to go out and they want to find people and gather people together that, that Jesus wants to transform, but we can't find any. That would be a bit depressing. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying there's heaps of it. And the issue is with workers, not with the harvest. So I want to transition into, into Ephesians at this point. I'd always kind of plan this week that we would just stop because we have dealt with some very, very rich things in Ephesians. Have we not? We've talked about adoption. We've talked about life from the dead. We've talked about God having blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in Ephesians 1. And it would be sick and perverted for us to turn into a cul-de-sac with that, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be just weird? It's like, oh, I'm all good, you know? Like, my neighbour's going to hell... But I'm all good. I'm adopted in. So I'm just going to kick back, bring me a margarita, and can someone adjust this banana lounge for me? That, isn't that weird? You know what's weird about it? It's weird because it's nothing like what God's like. That's not what he does. I mean, God is the God in Christ who leaves everything to rescue you. So if, you, if his grace is working properly in you, You'll do that too. And if it's not, it's malfunctioning and you've got some struggles. And I'm telling you, it malfunctions in me. And I go to conferences like this and I just go, yeah, that's, that is what it's about. Thank you. <laughs> I need to hear that. And last year, the conferences I went to with another church planning network, there was no vibe and I was getting the same thing last year. I'm just going, what's happened? And I'm asking the question as, as the... Uh, the senior leader in the church, I just go, where are we? Are we on mission anymore? Are we? Are we connecting with non-Christians? Because I don't want to be here in this church if we're not going to be like that. And I'm not tending my resignation, but I just won't be here if we're not going to be like that. I'm not interested in leading a church that is a cul-de-sac of grace. I'm not interested in it. And I grew up in the Presbyterian church and I saw too many Presbyterian churches that were a cul-de-sac of God's grace. And I never ever, there was a moment where I almost became a Presbyterian minister. And that was like, you know when you're out in the, on the Oval, and I'm not bagging Presbyterians, right? But you know, sometimes on the Oval out here when I'd be on playground duty, you'd feel the wind of a ball that just goes past your head and it almost hit you, that's a little bit how I felt, all right? Now, there's lots of good things happening in the Presbyterian church. I'm not bagging it. But I never wanted to be in a church that became a cul-de-sac of grace because they go septic. That's what happens to them. I'm going to finish by 10, but let's have a look at Ephesians. Ephesians 2. I trust as I share all that, you understand that I, I am absolutely feeling as convicted about this as what I'm sounding like I'm sharing with you. Ephesians 2, verse 11, 
Uh, we're going to start out through to verse 18. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. All right? Now, let's just... Have we got any kids in here? Not really. Okay. Well, we'll be okay. Just, I won't be too rude. But that was a nickname for people who weren't Jews. It would be like being called the foreskin. That, that was kind of what it was. So it was a bit of an insult, right? And it was a nickname for people who weren't Jews. Uh, by what is called the circumcision, the Jews which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. This is you. I don't know that anyone's a Jew here today. We're Gentiles. We're people separated from the Messiah, the coming Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Having, listen to this, no hope and without God in the world. That's bad news. One day we'll find out how bad that news is. To actually be without hope and separated from God is terrible, terrible news. But look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Can someone give me an amen? Amen. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came, Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. All right, keep that open. Here's where we're going. I'm going to rip through this in 15 minutes. Number one, without Jesus, your situation's hopeless and everyone else's. Number two, Jesus brought us near and number three, peace is embodied in a person. Have a look at verse 12 there. I just read that before. Remember uh, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You've heard me say this before. Without God, there is no sure and certain hope. There is only wishing. That's all you've got left. And people live by hope. When people run out of hope, they don't want to live anymore. Now, people wish and they hope that good things are going to happen to them in a, in a wishing kind of way. But what Paul's actually saying here is it's like you get separated from God as a Gentile, right? So you think about the Jews, right? They were connected to, um, they were connected to, to, to um, the promise. Uh, they were Israelites. If you go to Romans 9 verse 4, it talks about how they were adopted by God. They were God's children. Uh, they were part of the glory that was going on. They were part of the covenants and the deals that God was making. Um, they had the law. They were part of the worship. They had access to the promises. Gentiles had none of that. They were disconnected from all of that. And it was a hopeless situation for them. They were disconnected from God. There was no expectation of a Messiah to light up their darkness. They didn't know anything about him. They had no rights as citizens in his kingdom. And they were cut off from any kind of privileges that might have come by their birth, like the Jews did. That was us. And that's everyone else at this point in time. Paul's not directly saying this here, but that's the world that we live in, right? God's made us a new creation, but everyone else, unless Jesus does something to awaken them and to help them, their situation is hopeless. There actually isn't any hope. And you go, well, they might have a nice life for 40 years. So? Like, that will just be a blip on the radar screen of eternity, won't it? Okay, so they had a nice house. And I'm not saying these things aren't good, but in comparison to eternity in comparison to what it means to actually have Christ. They're not really that much, are they? They're not really that much. God is the God of hope. Romans 15:13 says that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. 
There's no hope outside of God. Number two. Jesus brought us near. Look at verse 13 to 16 there. I'm just going to read that again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you see what Paul's saying here? I mean, he's been saying in Ephesians 2 how desperate our situation is apart from God. And he's actually saying here, listen, if you're not a Jew, it's even more desperate. Because it's almost like a situation like you don't know what you don't know when you're a Gentile. Does that make sense? You ever had that? You go up to people and you say, tell me what I need to know. And you just go, well, you probably don't know what you need to know and I don't really know what you need to know. You ever been in one of those situations? This is, it's a bit like that here. Like you're a Gentile, you're disconnected from the prophecies, you're disconnected from the promises, you're disconnected from God giving his word out to people, you're living in some other nation somewhere and you know nothing about any of it. You, don't, you know that life's hell a whole bunch of times, all right? And you know that you can get stuck in places, but you don't know anything about a saviour. And in the middle of that, what does Jesus do? Well, he comes and he reaches out and he takes people who are afar off. He takes Gentiles, he takes us and he brings us near. How near does Jesus bring us? Well, the Isaiah says that Jesus carries his lambs very close to his chest. So how near does God bring us? Like crazy near. So you can hear his heartbeat. Can you, do you see the contrast there? No hope without God carried in his arms with the God of hope. You know, the situation, if you're a Christian this morning, the situation is that all hell can break loose on your life and you will be able to find hope somewhere. Somewhere. And I'm not saying that it won't grind you down and it won't get really difficult and there won't be some really dark days. But you know what? God is still going to be alive. <laughs> Jesus is still going to be the saviour that comes and helps you. It's not out of his control and he loves you. Now it's hard to access those things sometimes when it gets really difficult. But here's the bottom line. that You will find some hope somewhere. Have a look at the next couple of verses there. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What's Paul saying? Well, the Jews and the Gentiles didn't always get on particularly well. I mean, you can imagine sometimes what human pride's going to do if you think that, if, if you're part of the team that God speaks directly to. You with me? You know, you could, you could actually get pretty arrogant about that. There could be some real kind of hostility there. And last week we talked about uh, self-righteousness and religion and how that can take place. But look at what happens here. God actually comes in Christ and he recreates us. You see, our world is full of conflict, isn't it? Have you noticed that? There's just lots of conflict in the world. How do you resolve conflict? How do you bring peace to people who are in the middle of conflict? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that, um, that peace comes in a different way maybe to what you actually think. Because what God actually does is God recreates us. He doesn't just bring two enemies together, which is what has been talked about in Ephesians 2. It's actually... What God's going to do is he's going to grab the Jews and the Gentiles, stick them in a pot and melt them down and create something new out of them, a completely new creation. So this is even better than just bringing two people together and working out a solution between the two of them, all right, so that you've got some kind of peace. This is even better than that. It's actually a new creation where people are in Christ. You know, have you ever had the thought, you know, Jesus said he's going to go away and, he, you know, I'll go away and I'll prepare a place for you. I've got many rooms in my place. Have you ever had the thought like, geez, I just don't want to be stuck next to that person for eternity. <laughs> have you ever had that one? <laughs> it's just like down on the west wing. You can be on the west wing and I'll be on the east wing. 
If you've ever had thoughts like that where you just go, oh, maybe it's not that exact one, but you just go, I don't know how this whole thing is going to work, being in heaven with people that I find it hard to get along with. Because who knows in the church that there's people that are hard to get along with? Amen? And it happens in every church. I mean, every church, everyone that got up almost over the last few days is saying, there's some really hard kind of conflicts that happen in churches. And how's that going to work? How's it going to work if I'm actually going to be in heaven with those people? And you kind of go, oh, we're going to be perfect then, so it's going to be better. Well, you know what it actually is going to be, is that God has created a new creation out of his people and they're created in him. Now, why is that critical? Because peace is not specifically a commodity. Peace is actually embodied in a person. So if you get recreated and you get recreated in Christ, you will have peace. Do you see that there? Go uh, uh, verse 14 there in Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace. So you know the ultimate peace that Christ is going to bring isn't about doing some kind of conflict resolution, right? Jesus is not this cosmic psychologist that sits people down and gets them to talk about their feelings together. That, that's not the, I mean, that can be helpful, right? And I'm not saying that God's not a counsellor. I'm just saying that is not the main way that God's actually going to bring about peace. He doesn't get people together and they get talking about it and he brokers some kind of deal between them. What he actually does is he totally recreates you and the, the Gentiles and the Jews get totally melted down, reproduced, recreated into a, a new creation. Now, here's the thing. That's really good news. Do you know why that's really good news? Because a massive, massive temptation in conflict is to blow people off and do whatever the hell I want to do. Now, what's that? That's actually individualism. That's what it is. It's individualism. And you can see that here. You can see that the conflict and the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles had a way of actually dividing them. What's the solution? What's the solution when there's conflict? Well, the solution is that we need to be in Christ. And that, sounds, that might sound really simplistic, but that's actually it. When, we, when Christ has recreated us, if we love him, he's recreated us, we need to be in him and we need to be operating in him relationally. So you think less, if, the, if, if you need peace today, the world needs peace, we need peace, we have relationships that need peace, what do those relationships actually need? What does the conflict in our world need? It doesn't need the commodity of peace, it needs to be in the person who is peace. Does, does that make sense? And you can think about that often. You can kind of go, I feel like we just need to get some peace here. Maybe if we talk to them, they can help us get some peace. Let's go, well, Ephesians 1, I think verse 14 says that the whole plan of the whole of creation is to bring everything to unity in Christ. And now we're doing that in Ephesians 2. It's like you get unity and you get togetherness and you get team when you're in Christ. And that's as much of a, it's as much something I need to grapple with as anyone. So I had this thought, and this is like probably the dumbest illustration I've ever come up with, all right? So feel free to mock and ridicule quietly. I was sitting there this morning and I was just going, it'd be like two dry sponges having a punch-up, which would never end, because they're sponges, right? But they're having a punch-up, two dry sponges having a punch-up and it's like water in a bucket is peace and it's Jesus and you stick them in the water and what actually happens? Just permeates them completely. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what it's like. It's like 
we can kind of go to a couple of sponges having a punch up and try and work out some kind of peace deal between them and treat peace like a commodity or we can actually say Jesus embodies peace. He's not just a peacemaker, he is peace. So what are we doing? What, what are we doing then? We're kind of going, no, we actually need to get in him and we need to soak in him and we need to see things the way that he sees and we need to let him change us. We need to be facing him instead of facing ourselves or our own agendas. Jesus is the meeting place for all of humanity. And God's goal is to reconcile people. It's to make things right between people, to make things right between brothers and sisters. But you know, mostly, it's the, the main focus for God is to resolve the issue between he and us. You see, when everyone is one, when all Christians are one and operating in Christ, there won't be conflict. You can't be in peace, embodied, and have conflict. Like, you're just not going to be able to do it. Like, that just, that's an oxymoron. It doesn't make any sense at all. Let me, um, let me finish by reading the last verse, verse 18. It's a beautiful, just caps it off beautifully. For through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you hear that? One sentence, just a, a beautiful little reminder, the Trinity's on the job and they've all got their sleeves rolled up. <laughs> all right? Jesus is busy doing stuff, the Spirit's active, and it's all about getting us access to the Father. So, what I, uh, it's like a minute or two past ten. Here's, here's what I'd like to do now. I reckon, um, maybe we might even skip having the last song. Can you just come up and play for a little bit for us, mate? Is that all right? Thanks, mate. Sorry, mate, I just pointed at you then. You... Here's what I'd like to do, um, and I'd love you to do it as long as you want to do it. But I'd love you to gather in, uh, in groups, if you're comfortable to do this, if you're, if you're new at the church today, you're not comfortable to do it, that's okay, uh, morning tea will be on out there. Here's what I'd love for us to do today, I'd love us to gather in groups and pray for people by name who need Jesus to make them alive. You don't have to use their full name, just use their first name, all right? And as you pray, pray, pray and ask that God would give opportunity to talk about Jesus with them. Pray and ask that God would change their hearts. Pray and ask that they would ask about Jesus. Pray and ask God to soften. You've had lots of conversations about Jesus. Call out to God again, cry out to him again and cry about it if you have to. Because I think there's probably nothing more appropriate than crying for someone who has no hope at the moment. I remember going to a, um, a prayer meeting when I was over on a trip in uh, Indonesia with some pastors over there. And uh, this Indonesian pastor who has a heart for his nation got up and started praying in this prayer meeting of about 10 of us. And the longer he went, the more out of control he got. Now that might weird you out and it weirded me out. But do you know what ended up ha happening is this guy ended up heaving. He started getting these cramps in his stomach and he was crying out to God and he was crying. And you know what it was all about? It was all about the fact that Indonesians didn't know Jesus. And at the end of it, I thought, I just got totally weirded out by that. But there's nothing more appropriate than someone would feel some physical pain and cry over someone who doesn't know Jesus. True? Now, that may not be you. You may be, you know, one of the stoic ones. Maybe blinking a couple of times is the same as crying for you. I don't know. So just do that. Have a heart for people. And we'll just, I just think it'd be good for us just to get in, in circles. Let's just pray. Let's bring before Jesus the people that desperately need him. And seek after him and say, Spirit, would you empower me this week? We've got freeloader week coming up. Not, it's not this week, it's next week. 
Jesus came eating and drinking. That's his missional strategy. That's what he did. So maybe it's just, I'm just going to have a coffee with someone. And I'd love to share something about Jesus with them. Maybe you just even tell them your story about how Jesus changed you. Have a coffee with them. Before you go, in the lead up, pray your heart out. Say, God, I want your spirit to do something today. And then at the end of it, pray your heart out. You don't have to say grace. <laughs> you might want to. You don't have to, but bathe the thing in prayer and just say, God, how, how can I reach this person with you? I want you to transform them. And do you know what you do when nothing happens? You keep going. Because <laughs> the parable of the sower tells you a certain proportion of people will respond. I remember Chris here saying it's mathematical. If you just keep scattering seed, you'll have converts. <laughs> so don't stop if you don't get, if nothing happens. Just keep going. Anyway, that's enough from me. Why don't you, um, can you do that now if you're uncomfortable with it? Maybe you can sit there quietly and pray yourself. Gather a few people around you. Let's, let's bring some people before Jesus and see what the Spirit might do, eh?